This is Reinvented. I'm Chris Bordoni, and this show is about the art and science of transformation. In season one of Reinvented, we're exploring what happens when adversity strikes. From finding new sources of strength, to rethinking your identity, and far beyond. Today I speak with Dave Fuhrer, the CEO of Grit Health. As a senior in college, just months after winning the New York State Natural Bodybuilding title, Dave was diagnosed with cancer. He beat cancer that year, but would battle the disease again a few years later. As Dave recounts, the disease changed his life in profound ways. This interview is a raw, honest conversation about losing your identity, making peace with who you are, and the good that can come from living through adversity. Let's get started. Dave, I want to start by talking um, about your father and, and your family. And this is something that I've heard you speak about a number of times in the past, and particularly around the idea of values and instilling values in your children. And I was just hoping that you could share a little bit about your upbringing, what it was like growing up in your house, and, and what your father's philosophy was or your parents' philosophy was, and, and how that you know what impact that had on you as a child. Well, we'll jump right into the deep end at the beginning. <laughs> um, thank you for starting with that. Um, you know, uh, growing up, I've shared, obviously, that my father's uh, motto was uh, the difficult we do immediately, the impossible just takes a little longer. And that belief in ourselves and in accomplishing things has always been my whole life a core part of my value, you know, the, the belief that that big and meaningful things are possible. And my mom um, is a history teacher and loves understanding sort of the evolution of who we are as people, as humans. And, and she has really, really core values that those two things together, you know, the belief in reaching high coupled with this really strong foundation of values and, you know, being who you are and respecting others has really been my platform to arrive at where I am today. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll save the second piece of that. I, I want to take a pause for a moment, but, you know, th- the way our lived experience affects us, I have a different understanding of what that means to me now than I did while I was growing up in it. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I find in my own life, there's things I look back on where they make a lot more sense now. Um, and I don't know if when you were a kid, I mean, I think a lot of times for, for kids, like the things that our parents say are are oftentimes more annoying than not, right? Or it's something that like you begrudgingly accept it. Um, so yeah, I was curious whether that was something that sort of resonated with you when you were younger, or if it's only been in hindsight that you've started to look back and say, oh, I really get that. And that's really powerful stuff. Yeah. And, and I think the, the the real difference for me now is having lived through trauma, I have more ability to be empathetic with how my parents made it through trauma to arrive at those values as their core being. You know, so growing up, you know, we sort of view things as intellectual and learning and going through, you know, my my own trauma now as an adult several times, you know, I, I look back on the way my parents brought us up and I have a new understanding that, you know, they were holding on to those things as aspirational because of their own trauma. You know, we, we don't arrive at values sort of willy nilly, right? They're shaped through the fire that we live, you know, and looking back on, you know, my dad's service and, you know, very near death experience and what it took to get through that, you know, and I, I understand how my parents really 
loved and held those things the same way that I do now. Yeah. And I definitely want to, we'll get to the trauma here in, in a little bit, but just sticking on sort of your youth or your younger years anyways, I want to talk about your identity. Um, and we've talked about this a little bit off, off mic, but you know, how would you have described yourself as a young man? What were you interested in? What motivated you and, and what, what made you, you at that point? Um, wow. You, you like big, big questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, um, the best way, I think, and most authentic way I can answer that is that the belief in really being a part of things that are big and meaningful pushed me in really remarkable ways that I'm grateful for, right? So, you know, in in relatively small ways, like, you know, I, I became a bodybuilder because I loved pushing myself physically, and I won a New York State bodybuilding title because I was able to push myself that hard in that area and um pausing for a minute to feel the meaning of that i look back on those things and they were me trying to apply what i knew growing up before i really understood why it was important and you know for me the loss of identity was going through cancer twice in my 20s and both diagnoses were testicular cancer. So, you know, the things that people think immediately about are the loss of those body parts. And then, you know, if if someone is thoughtful enough to sort of peel back a layer, they might think, well, I, I wonder how not having those body parts affects your your, your, your body, right? So I don't produce hormones anymore. And, you know, the, the layer of things below that. And then, you know, there are some people who really lean in and, and wonder, you know, how does not producing hormones or losing your ability to be a biological father, how does that affect your identity as a man, as a human? And, and that's something that I've spent the last 10 years really trying to re-understand my life because it is profoundly different than the way I experienced those values growing up now. Yeah, I want to stay with that because I think it's hard. It'd be hard to think of a, a profession or a, an activity that's mm -hmm. more identified with masculinity and mm -hmm. testosterone and all the things, right, that we're talking about than bodybuilding. Like it's incredibly yeah. image conscious um, and and you need those things, right, to to look a certain way. And not only that, but having been someone who who worked out quite a lot in my younger years as well, it's a there's a gym culture, right, of just yeah. bigger is better, and and the bigger you are, the more masculine you are. So you were like essentially at ground zero of this when you uh, when you were diagnosed with cancer in the first place, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, I won the New York State Natural Bodybuilding title in October, and then the following February was my first cancer diagnosis. Wow, wow. What yeah. was your What was your diagnosis like? I, did you you found a lump, and then was it off to the races? How did that all play out for you? Um, no, actually, um, I just felt that something was different, but didn't really realize what was going on or know. And of course, you know, we, we all think we're invincible. Um, or certainly a, a lot more, you know, sort of uh, impenetrable than we are in our 20s. And I think my family pushed me to really um, go see what was happening. And so I went to the health services office at college and, um, you know, talked to them and they sent me for an ultrasound. And, you know, it, it's funny, I'm only now and it's been, gosh, uh, more than 15 years really reconnecting with those moments because I blacked them out. You know, they were so traumatic in the beginning that, you know, my brother said to me, well, do you remember your friend Mike really saying, Dave, you got to go check this out. And I have no memory of that, you know, and, and trauma affects us those ways. No kidding.
What about it, Dave? What about it do you think was so traumatic? What caused you to want to block it out? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, um, I mean, the obvious answer is that cancer is scary and traumatic on its own, right? And 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 it's just, you know, um, I, I have a, a friend, David Richmond, um, who's who's been writing a book about, you know, the emotional experiences of cancer. And in it, he says cancer is like a shovel to the face, right? It is it is just a completely numbing experience. And and so my first response to that is, yeah, cancer is just terrifying, and and we try to just get through it as fast as we can. But what you said before that was you know, it also struck at the core of my identity. You know, my identity was being this, you know, competitive male bodybuilder and, you know, having a diagnosis that um, intruded in that space was profound for all kinds of humanity reasons too. Yeah. Did you find that after you went through treatment, after you were in remission, did you find that you were able to get back to some sense of, of normalcy? Or did you find that sort of that experience bled into the following experience several years later? That is a great question. Um, I, would, I would share with you that um, I tried to pretend like I went back to life before that. The most obvious way I can tell you that uh, that's me living in denial was that I gained 50 pounds of weight from the anxiety I was repressing. Yeah. So, so, you know, like, and, and it sounds crazy to think about this now, but, you know, I was on stage in October winning a bodybuilding competition. A few months later, I was diagnosed. And then by August of that following year, so not even 12 months later, I went to put on my pants one day and the belt buckle was digging into my skin and I had no recognition or realization that trying to use the same hole, you know, belt hole that I normally use to hold my pants up wouldn't work because I had put on 50 pounds and that shows you the sort of the strength of denial. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. And you're right. It's, it's, um, it's shocking. I think what our brains can do to us in these experiences and sometimes, you know, it takes years or, or maybe never happens, but sometimes it takes a while to, to go back and unpack what, what actually happened and what sort of mental state were we in at the time. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, I don't, I don't want to fast forward too much, but, you know, what, what you just said is really what I've spent the last 10 years trying to unpack, you know, and us having this conversation is like really opening the door to vulnerability, you know, and that, that is a hard, hard thing to do because as humans, we want to put those things away and move on with our lives. And, you know, it, it has affected relationships in my life by trying to unpack those things because I don't want to just go back to who I was before. You know, I want to learn and grow and, and help others as a result of going through all that. And for many people, that isn't comfortable. You know, it's that that was, you know, 10 years ago or more, you know, why aren't you over that? Leave it behind. And if there's something that I hear from people that hurts them the most, it's sort of the pressure from those around them to say, you know, thank God we're over that. We can forget it now. Yeah. Well, and I think the other the other part of your story is that you you had cancer twice. Right. And I think about this a lot. Like I. I believe that I'm a pretty resilient person, at least along some dimensions. Um, I've, you know, had a, had 15 years of experiences that I think give me a bit of credibility in saying that, and that I'm proud of how I handled them by and large. Um, but I can tell you that I sit here and I have moments where I am I am afraid of cancer coming back. 
or a different cancer coming. And I'm afraid sort of mentally of what it would be like to face that down, right? And to, to be confronted with going through something that you, you feel like you've already conquered once. Um, you live that experience. And it sounds like you lived it, you know, starting from a place of, of having some issues that you hadn't fully resolved. What is that like to have years go by and to have thought or hoped that, that cancer was in the rearview mirror and then to have it come back? What is that feeling like? Mm. Wow, you just took me back to that moment of my second diagnosis at 30, you know, and um, n- not feeling like it was even a possibility really you know it just you know I I, uh, went in for one of my yearly checkups and uh, my doctor had sent me for a CT scan and then was concerned and sent me for an MRI and um, the the possibility of going through another you know different type of tumor wasn't in my mind at the time and uh, I reacted to it the same way I tried to the first time, which is to just power through it. And, uh, you know, obviously the more our life crumbles around us, you know, losing fertility, um, you know, going through radiation and all the physical toll that takes on the body. And then, you know, that means that you're not the same person you were at work. And, you know, that, that whole going back into that experience, um, was way more traumatic than I was able to understand at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've heard your, your Ted talk where you talk uh, about a conversation you had Mm -hmm. where you sat down with your parents at 30 and, uh, you know, you, you frankly said some things that are, that are really dark, but, but also that I think for many of us who've gone through these experiences, we totally relate to, we've had that moment. Will you take us back to that conversation? Just share a bit about, where you were at that moment in time. Yeah. Um, I remember a conversation um, in a way that it's not a memory. It's as much a part of my life today as it was in the moment. Um, And, you know, I had just gone through radiation and, you know, didn't have hormones in my body. So chronically fatigued and, you know, all the tolls of treatment. Um, and I was married in my twenties and that relationship ended. So I was, you know, trying to figure out who I was, you know, thinking I was going to be a husband and a father and those things not being what, what I had planned, right. You know, planned. And I was sitting at the kitchen table and my dad was in his chair and my mom was standing at the Island. And, um, I, I remember this conversation about, you know, is, is this life, right? I'm 30 years old and, and, all of my peers, my friends are, you know, buying homes and having babies and, you know, building careers. And here I am sitting at a kitchen table, um, uh, broken, you know, and, um, I remember vividly saying to them, you know, if this is what the rest of my life is going to be, I don't know how long I want to be around for it. Yeah. I, it's hearing you talk, I'm, I'm, I'm reliving some of my own conversations that, that I've had and, and having said similar words or the same words, right? It's, it's, um, it's incredibly difficult to, to get to that place or to be in that place and feel like you just, you're lost, right? And you don't have, you don't see a way forward. Yeah. I guess yeah. in, in that moment and then in the days or the weeks or the months or years that passed, how did you pick yourself up from there? How did you keep moving forward? 
Um, I, you know, uh, we started this conversation about, you know, values and things and, um, you know, being in those places are just so daunting. You know, it affects so much of our life that um, we can't understand all of it at any one time, you know, and I didn't react well immediately. And I think we all have to forgive ourselves a little bit, you know, and, and be kind to ourselves with how tough those moments are going through it or, you know, when people we love watching them and feeling helpless when they're going through them, you know, those are some of the toughest moments as a human. And um, uh, you, you mentioned my TED talk and, you know, so I was diagnosed that second time, that kitchen table conversation, I was 30 or 31. And I gave that TED talk a couple years ago now. So there was 10 years in between, you know, that conversation. And then when I talked about it on stage and <clears throat> I, I can, I can tell you with um, uh, complete confidence that that moment on stage was the first time I was ready to lean into that. And, and I didn't even know that I was going to. I was preparing to share my story and, you know, thought I had my TED Talk all sort of packaged and ready. And it was a couple of days before the actual talk. And, you know, I was doing one of my final prep sessions with my speaking coach and um, he, he completely knocked me off balance. And he took me to a place that I didn't know that I was ready to go. And just in those couple days, it took me from thinking I was getting on stage to give an intellectual talk about my story to being able to get up there and just just take off the armor, you know. And and that first moment was really the first time I was able to take off my armor. Wow, talk about high degree of difficulty. Like that's a, <laughs> it's a, a bit of a yeah. high pressure situation. Good for you. And it's, it's fascinating when you watch that. Cause you can, it's so clear. It's so clear that you're, you are feeling all of those feelings. Like you're reliving those moments in a very visceral way. And it's, it's really powerful to watch. Thank you. Um, I'll share, share with you that after the talk was over, you know, speakers are encouraged to go back out and sit in the audience and, you know, be a part of everybody else's talk. And I was in such a vulnerable place. I spent the, the next several hours just on the couch being with myself because that was the first time I had gone that vulnerable. And, you know, it's, it's really, it's a significant moment to, to arrive at those places as, as individuals. Yeah. I mean, Dave, I think, I think one of the things that really jumps out in this conversation and past conversations we've had is just how how open you are, how thoughtful you are, how introspective you are, and, and how comfortable you are going into your feelings. And I think there's a bit of a juxtaposition here, right, in that you are you are a very large man. Like you are a really fit, big, imposing person. And and just I think unfortunately we don't identify masculinity with feelings, right? right. And so I'm curious, what was the path like for you to get to a place where you could start to get comfortable going in and exploring those feelings and making sense of them and also just sharing them with the world? Like over that 10 year period, how did you start to get comfortable doing that? Oh, um, I, um, when I finally was able to start to open up, I, I started to try to share and connect with the people who were closest to me that didn't really know what it was like to go through that, you know, and my parents and my friends, you know, and their, their first response was, we had no idea. We had no idea you were in that place because you always 
project being okay, you know, and, and that's what I thought I had to do as a man, you know, project that I've got it and I can handle it and it's not more than I am and I don't need help. And those things weren't true. I really needed help. You know, um, one of my mentors, uh, Brad Love, in who's a part of our team at Grit Health, you know, his expression, it's something he puts on his Zoom, you know, um, a backdrop all the time. It, it's a, a Winnie the Pooh, um, you know, cartoon. Um, and Piglet is asking him, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? And Winnie the Pooh said, ask for help. Mm. You know, and, and that to me was the start of everything was just you know, dropping that veneer, that facade, and trying to share with people that I don't have it the way I was trying to make you believe. Yeah. And I, I think that's a really powerful point and an amazing one. And something that I think a lot of us, including myself, have struggled with it at times is asking for help. I think one of the things that's interesting about it, and I think also empowering and exciting about it, is that there's a lot of different places that people can get help from, right? You can get help from professionals. You can get help from family members. You can get help from communities that you might join. Perhaps you get help from hearing stories that inspire you or reading books or whatever it is. Were there specific things that you found particularly helpful for, for you over the years as you were, you know, trying to pull yourself up? Yeah. I mean, one of the first things I did was, um, started to, started to read stories of people that had made it through trauma you know, and um, uh, Michael J. Fox was one of the first books that I read, you know, trying to process my own trauma. Um, and there, there's a quote in his book where he says, seeing how much I've lost makes me realize how much I have, hmm. you know, and, and that was such a profound moment. You know, when we go through trauma, we focus on what we're losing and, and, and rightfully so, you know, I mean, it's, it's incredibly hard for life not to go the way we planned, but, you know, observing others, you know, and, and what they did to make sense of it and then create lives because of it, you know, those types of perspectives have helped me see that, you know, life isn't the way we planned, right? In, in small ways and big ways, it's never going to be that life, but the way we can turn those things into who we really are meant to be, um, that to me is where we find our purpose. David, do you have a moment when you started to feel like there was a new identity that was out there waiting for you? There was a different future that you could start to run towards instead of, you know, trying to claw your way back into the past or, or, or feeling aimless. Obviously, I'm putting words into your mouth. But did you, when did you start to feel some hope or a new direction that you could follow? Wow. Um, there are two thoughts immediately that come to mind when you ask that. Um, but for very different reasons. Um, the first moment was probably at one of my lowest points in life, um, and it was actually during radiation. Um, and, you know, the, the radiation rooms are in the basements of hospitals because those machines are so huge and so heavy, they have to sit on concrete. And, you know, being in a radiation, you know, room... Um, once they get you positioned and you're all lined up on the machine, the tech leaves the room and the door is a foot thick. And, you know, you can sort of see them out of the corner of the eye, your eye pulling this big door shut and it clunks with this sort of um, just, poof, you know, and, and the, the close of that door is as much a statement about where you are as it is about the structure of the room. You know, you're completely alone in a moment you never expected to be in. Um, and, you know, uh, 
I, I went through radiation and as I was leaving the hospital, I, I remember walking up the stairs to the first floor and I walked through the revolving door and uh, it was in March. So it was cool outside, but the sun was out and it was a clear blue sky. And I remember just standing there and looking up and, you know, and, and all these things were, were sort of falling down around me. But I remember this feeling of like, wow, there is a lot more out there and around me than I ever recognized. And that was the first moment that I really, I think, started to understand how much it's not in our control and how much if we start to let go of what we thought had to happen, there is a whole world of things beyond that. The, the second thought that I, I feel I have to share too is that um, really the things that I'm just dealing with now in my life are not about helping other people understand, which is what I, I shared with you. That was where I started. Um, it's about accepting myself, you know, and um, even now, all these years later, um, being okay with who I am, um, even when it differs from the way people expect me to be. Um, I'm just finding peace now in that. And and it's it's a new place of like resilience that, that I didn't know was beyond some of the things I worked through in the beginning. Yeah, that's really, that's really cool. And, um, it's, uh, it's really interesting to hear you call that out specifically, um, because you're doing, and we're going to talk about this in a second, but you're doing amazing things for this community, for people who are, who are going through or will go through adversity. I mean, the amount that you're giving back and the ways that you're giving back are fantastic. And like I mentioned, we'll, we'll spend some time on that here in a moment, but, um, it's, you're right that it's not the same as working on yourself. It's not the same as going within and it's not the same as letting go of the things that, you know, you've been holding on to, or we've been holding on to that maybe no longer serve us. Was there, as you've, as you've worked on that, as you've started to engage or go down that path, um, are there certain practices that you find helpful? Are there certain books or certain tools? Because, you know, I bring this up because I think this is something that so many of us struggle with or we struggle with at various times. But was there anything that really has worked for you or has has struck a chord with you in that process? Yeah, um, we don't know what help we need until somebody shows us, you know, and you, you mentioned in the beginning of our conversation, you know, about, um, people connecting you and how we got connected and conversations that unfolds. Um, I've had so many conversations with people who have helped me, um, really feel the, the things that I can start to let go of. And, and to, to sort of give practical examples of that, you know, when I started creating grit health and, and the work that we do to support others in the beginning, I was doing it to cope with my own pain and the loss of losing my dad to cancer. And I felt like, you know, that work, um, was, was my way to cope, to feel like my life was about something, you know, and, and that's, that's great. And it's also tough because when things didn't go well and they don't always, I felt like I was failing, you know, and the things that have helped me most in life now, you know, get through adversity and, and really find resilience are those moments when I was able to open up to people, you know, and they, they, they would share things like, you know, Dave, you didn't fail your dad or, you know, Dave, because that thing you were trying didn't go the way you wanted doesn't mean you still didn't help people, you know, and 
um, th- those moments of real compassion and empathy happened because I learned how to start opening up and then people met me there, you know? And so just that, that process of starting to open up and asking for help, um, people will show up and meet you in ways that we never can expect. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Dave. Um, thinking about grit health, I want to talk about the work that you're doing there. I guess maybe just as a starting point, what, what is grit health and what are you all hoping to accomplish? Mm. So it is broadly a community of people around the world that live and are free of judgment for how different each of our own experiences are. And we come together to empower each other to sort of get through that pain, but then also find our identity and live our lives and also advocate, you know, for ourselves and for others. And so it it started out as a mobile app where people could connect and meet peers. um, And then it's become, you know, sort of a whole platform. um, And just to see how it's grown and, and all the connections that are happening to help people sort of move forward with their own identity and living authentically is just, uh, I'm in awe every day. You know, you said something that I think really speaks to me, which is that um, the experiences are incredibly varied and incredibly different, and there should be no judgment in, in living that experience, whatever it's like for you. And I remember for me that one of the first days I was in the infusion center and I was, I was getting chemo and the way that it was set up at the, um, the facility that I was receiving it at, it was, basically a U-shaped room. And so you could see almost everyone, there was maybe 30 people in the room who were getting care that day. And I was there for eight hours a day. And so I I got to spend a lot of time watching people, right? And I remember just vividly having this feeling of, I have no idea what anyone is going through at any point in their life. Like these are regular seeming people who come in and they're going through something horrible. And I have ridden the bus with these people. I've walked down the street next to them. I've talked on the phone with them. And really, you have no idea what someone's going through, right? And for me, that was a huge step in the path toward being or trying to be less judgmental in life and more accepting. But I think there's a there's a specific point around that too, which is that in, in the cancer journey, in that experience, or I, th- I imagine in any sort of adversity, we have no idea how someone's going to respond and we have no idea what that actual event is like for that specific person because they bring in their own upbringing and childhood and previous traumas and support system and all of the things that make that unique to them. And, and so given that it's, there's an incredible need, I think for the work that you're doing because our many parts of our healthcare system and many parts of our society are so monolithic and they're so one size fits all. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm just nodding and listening. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, uh, there are moments in the work that we do where I get to feel people um, sort of feel accepted in a way that they didn't before. And um, there, there's one woman in particular who was a part of one of our programs you know we, we do these virtual gatherings where people from around the world can connect and you know they're always about specific topics like you know uh, mental health or um 
uh, you know, dealing with work lives and, and just, you know, almost everything you can imagine. And we, we had a guest on one of our programs and, you know, in her workplace, she was respected as somebody who was really open about her condition. Um, and, you know, people would go to her and, you know, if somebody was newly dealing with something, you know, people would refer her and, you know, this is a woman who you can talk to and she's open about her condition, you know, and so when I met her, you know, I was connected to her already knowing I was going to respect how open she was, you know, and, and how many people she had helped start to find their identity and be open. Um, and she was a part of one of our, our sessions. And in the beginning of the session, she shared something that I think she had never shared before. And it was just really this powerful moment that if you've ever gone through, you know, those times in your life where you have to hide things like, you know, hide, hide part of your diagnosis or hide something that, you know, you're embarrassed about or, you know, any of those things, we, we all know what that feels like. Um, and, and she shared that with this group and it was just really humbling to be a part of. And afterwards, I talked to her and, you know, she said, I've needed that for 10 years. You know, that is something that I have held in. And I expected her to be somebody who was already open book. But I, I share that because no matter where we are in the journey, we all have those places inside. And it's getting to see others do that that gives us permission to feel like, you know, hey, I don't have to hide that thing about me. Yeah, that's really that's really cool. And I, as as you're talking, I'm nodding my head because there are <laughs> there are so many levels to that, right? Where you think you've shared something, and then you have one of those conversations, and it's such a gift where you you get someone asks you like, "Hey, what was this part of that thing like?" And you get to go back and relive that, and 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 you discover a whole bunch of things that I think to your point earlier in this conversation, you really hadn't had a reason or permission to think about for a while, and that can be such a cathartic and and wonderful. Um, type of release, I think, to go through that experience. Yeah, so, so much. And and the thing that I want to share too is that um, th this is tough, right? And um, uh, not everybody uh, is comfortable leaning in this way, you know? And there's been moments where I've shared something where another person, um, it was outside of their comfort zone or, you know, it was about something they weren't comfortable sharing. And at the time I felt like I wasn't being heard or it was something about me they weren't okay with. And, and what I've learned through more time of this is that, you know, we all have those things, right? You were talking about being in the treatment room. We don't know what each person's experience is like, and all we can do is share ours. And when they're ready, they'll reciprocate and they'll meet us. And if they're not, that's okay. And that's something that I've had to learn. It's not about whether they can accept me or not, but it's about, are they there too? And they may not be in the moment, but sometime in the future, they may be to that point and remember, holy cow, that was the first time that somebody showed me I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing you made me think of is that your perspective is always so relative, right? Like we know what we know, we've seen things from our own perspective. I remember, I remember, you know, being there getting treatment and, and I was, I was 30 at the time and most of the people there were, you know, 60, 65, right. 70 years old, right? Like the, the cancer demographic skews quite a bit older. And I remember like, you know, you, you get to, I got to a place where I was, I was really unwell. Like I had lost all my hair. I had lost 20 pounds probably. Um, I, I looked and felt terrible, right? Like just the, some of the worst I'd ever felt in my life. And the thing that was so funny about it, it was invariably every time I showed up, someone in the, in the waiting room, someone who was, you know, quite a bit older than me would say, you look fantastic. 
<laughs> and and for me, it was like, I feel terrible, but it's true that compared to everyone else here, just by virtue of being so much younger, like, yes, I look I look really good. And and there's like this this wonderful sort of gap, I think, in the in the perceptions from where each person is sitting. Um, yeah. And so it's, you know, it's it's fun to try to explore those things. But I think more than that, it's also really helpful to try to recognize that we we all have those gaps and blind spots as we're making sense of these experiences or interacting with other people. Beautifully said. Um, Dave, I want to go back to grit for a second. So walk me through the use case for grit. So if I'm a survivor, maybe I've been recently diagnosed, maybe I'm going through treatment, perhaps I'm a caregiver, um, or perhaps I'm, I'm a, a healthcare provider and I work with cancer patients. Um, talk to me about what are the different avenues or the different resources for, for those different avatars? How, how might they engage with grit? Yeah. Um, the, the first place for anybody to start is to visit us online at grithealth.com. And it's G-R-Y-T. Um, we spell grit with a Y because there's no I in grit, right? It's it's all about being together and supporting each other. So grithealth.com. And we, we've intentionally um, designed our website so that you can see other people's experiences, right? So, you know, if you're a young adult like you and I were, you know, there are stories of other young adults that you can watch videos, you can read, you know, their the blog that they've written, you know, you can start to connect and feel, you know, similar to other things that people are going through. Likewise, we also have things for people that are more in sort of the traditional, you know, cancer age demographic or, you know, some of the uh, people of color and minority demographics. And, you know, we try really hard to lead with experiences so that we can try to meet you, you know, where you are. Um, and then beyond that, you know, we, we are um, an education uh, connection and an advocacy organization. So that first point of connection is is welcoming you in and you know showing you're among people that get it right. And and that's all about connection. And then education. You know we do all kinds of programs that are about different medical as well as humanity related issues. Um, and, and many of those are listed on our website. We have a lot of programs people can just read through and see what speaks to them either about their their treatment and their cancer or about their quality of life and humanity. Um, and then really the third pillar is advocating, you know, and as we get through our trauma, you know, we can do a better job advocating for ourselves as well as advocating for others. And, you know, a part of what I'd love to share before we finish the conversation is, you know, how those individuals in our community are actually now advocating to change healthcare, you know, in ways by um, sharing their voice to change protocols for new treatments um, that are less burdensome and, you know, actually being a part of improving healthcare for others. Yeah, Dave, let's go deeper on that. I'd love to hear more about how that's playing out in practice. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, uh, healthcare is changing now in a way that um, the FDA, for example, has recognized, you know, the, the statement that Janet Woodcock shared just a couple of years ago is that as patients, uh, we are the experts in our experience, right? And so for, you know, a regulatory body like the FDA to acknowledge patients being the experts in their, in their, their life, you know, their lived experience, that's really starting to change healthcare in wonderful ways. And one of those ways now are actually guidelines that say new treatments uh, have to be developed by considering how they affect the people on them, not just in data ways or, you know, in 
uh, talking to physicians that treat them, but in really engaging, you know, patients and caregivers. And that's so much of the work GRIT does is actually, um, you know, ask members of the community if they want to be a part of that, share your voice, you know, share your experience. And we have something called the GRIT project where, you know, we can share those types of opportunities where a pharmaceutical company or a healthcare company or a hospital system is really trying to learn from patients in ways that they can do what they do better only by really acknowledging the experience it creates for us as individuals. I think this this has to be underscored because this feels like it's the way that the system should work, yeah. but it's not the way that the system has worked up until this point, right? So what what you're doing is incredibly important and incredibly impactful if if you end up on the other side of it as a patient going through something like this or, or any of the other, you know, sort of related or similar type experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, cancer and, you know, many diseases in general, um, were very different 40 years ago. You know, I mean, a, a cancer diagnosis 40 years ago was, um, more or less a death sentence, you mm-hmm. know, and, and the, the advancements that have happened in treating disease and improving quality of life have really been um, uh, profound. Um, we've gotten to a point where um, just treating is not enough, you know, and thinking about quality of life and thinking about experience. We've arrived at a place where those are no longer afterthoughts. They have to be forethoughts, right? And to be a part of that movement and a part of, you know, saying it's not just enough to treat a person. We have to think about what they're going through and how this will affect them and what that experience is. Um, and, and to just be a part of that, even though it's in the early stages, is is remarkably humbling. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I want to ask you about something that I that really resonates with me and has inspired me a bit. Um, I when we first talked, you were you were mentioning your team. Um, and I think you have a fantastic team of people that that work with you. But what's really unique about it is uh, they're cancer survivors. They're people who have lived the experience that you are working on. And I I think about my work as a a management consultant, and I. I've had many clients and one in particular where they sell a product. And at one point I asked, well, how many of your employees have used this product? And the answer was basically no one. And it creates some really big challenges, I think, in running a business. If you're really far removed from the thing that you're trying to, to give to the world or the problem that you're trying to solve, what's your experience been like, I suppose, starting from the beginning, how did you decide that you wanted to work with other survivors? And then what's that been like as you build this business out? Wow. Um, you, you hit on something, um, just so important. And, um, I can't say that I started out with a plan, right? Like, you know, I'm gonna, you know, search out these type of people and build this type of team. Um, I, I didn't, uh, I wasn't at a place to think that way at the time, you know, it was more just as my, my journey and my experience unfolded, I, created these connections with people. And, you know, I, I think our team with grit, um, is more like a family of people that really, um, empathize with what we've each been through and by extension want to share that empathy with others. 
Um, and it's not just patients. You know, uh, one of the individuals on our team, Ben, um, he was a caregiver for his sister, Jess, who also works with us uh, through her cancer. And Ben said something over the summer. You know, we were talking about these programs that we run and, you know, um, you know being inclusive and inviting people. And Ben made the comment um, that we don't just want your voice. We are incomplete without it. Mm. Right. Nobody else can speak for you. And if your voice isn't there, you know, then everybody else sort of loses the opportunity to really learn and be more empathetic, you know, and, and that speaks to me so much because I remember in the beginning, you know, thinking to myself, how can I do anything different or how can I do anything that isn't already being done? Right. And I, I think we all feel that at certain times. I mean, you're, you're doing, you are doing a noble thing right now by you know finding these stories and elevating them so others can find hope and feel ways to move forward and that's what drives our team too and i think ben's comment you know we don't just want your voice we are incomplete without it um speaks to that so beautifully yeah that's wonderful dave last question for you i'm i'm thinking back to your upbringing and i'm thinking about your father and and his his saying around difficult things and around you know, work ethic and and the courage to take on things that are tough. And now I'm thinking about where you are and the team that you lead and, and the work that you're doing. I'm curious, you know, in addition to growing into perhaps that expression, are there other ways that you've seen where your life experiences have changed what you bring as a leader and the way that you run a business? Uh, yeah. Um, and and <laughs> if there's one thing that um, has changed most significant in, in me, most significantly in me. It's that, you know, my dad's model, the difficult we do immediately, the impossible just takes longer. Um, I used to think that was a solo act, you know, and that's why I did things like bodybuilding because I could do that for me. Um, but to really affect people and, and, affect humanity and be a part of things that are bigger than ourselves. It is not about our individual ability to do those things. It is about our ability to respect and hear and see others. And so if I can leave any parting words, it's that, you know, these experiences we each have are sacred and finding ways to open up about ours, help inspire other people. And just as important, giving people the gift to let them open up about theirs helps humanity. And so the more we all do that, the better the world really is. Dave, I think that's a perfect place for us to end this conversation. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, and, and thanks for being a part of this conversation here today. It is my honor. And thank you for everything you're doing to elevate these stories and bring more people together. Thanks so much for checking out this episode. If this was your first time listening to Reinvented, be sure to click the subscribe button now. If you've been enjoying the show for a while, don't forget to leave a rating in Apple Podcasts. And if you know someone that would love this episode, take a moment to spread the word. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.